I'm Joel Parker, and this is How on Earth, the KJ News Science Show. Today is Tuesday, May 5th, 2020. Coming up, it is our annual graduation special, where we invite graduate students who recently completed their PhD thesis defense to explain their dissertation work, what it means, and where it might lead them. Our guests are Dr. Jennifer Berry, Dr. Clement Zheng, and Dr. Haley Son. Spring has sprung in Boulder, and that means graduation. However, graduation this year is very different than in past years. Because of the restrictions due to COVID-19, graduation ceremonies around the world have been canceled or changed from the massive in-person gatherings to creative alternatives. In Boulder, the University of Colorado graduation commencement ceremony will be live-streamed next Saturday, May 16th at noon on the university's website. So, Today's edition of How on Earth is our annual graduation special. It is a celebration of young scientists and engineers who have gone the extra mile in the extra many years beyond their undergraduate degrees by continuing their studies in graduate school. Our guests today are three young scientists who recently have defended their PhD theses and they have joined us to talk about their thesis research, their grad school experience, and what they have planned next. We'll start by letting each of them introduce themselves, what department they are in, and the title of their thesis. Hi, my name is Jennifer Berry, and I am in the chemistry department at CU Boulder. And my thesis title is The Development and Application of Chemical Ionization Mass Spectrometry for Measuring Terrestrial and Exoplanetary Organic Nitrogen. Hi, my name is Clement Zhang, and I'm part of the Atlas Institute at CU. My thesis is titled Everyday Materials for Physical Interactive Systems. Uh, my name is Haley Sohn, and I graduated from the Material Science and Engineering program, where I worked uh, with a physics professor. And my title was Large-Scale Patterning and Dynamics of Topological Solitons in Chiral Pneumatic Liquid Crystals. Well, thank you all very much for being on the show. I'm interested in finding what these are all about. <laughs> Haley, let's start with you, and let's see if I can repeat this. Your title was sure. <laughs> Large Scale Patterning and Dynamics of Topological Solitons in Chiral Pneumatic Liquid Crystals. Did I get that? You did. You pronounced it all correctly and everything, uh, which is tricky because there's a lot of kind of scary terms <laughs> in there. So I'll, I'll break it apart a little bit. Uh, let's actually start with the end of the title. So I was working with a material called chiral pneumatic liquid crystals. And this is a really interesting material that's classified as quote unquote soft material. And that means that it can be deformed and changed by thermal fluctuations and external forces. So 
you can think of it in the same way you can categorize this material in the same way we categorize like plastics and and different colloids and and types of a colloid is a liquid like a paint um, mm -hmm. that has very small particles in it and so all of that falls under the same umbrella and liquid crystals are a material that's actually very prevalent in our day-to-day -day life because they exist behind our cell phone screens and computer screens and they make the colors in in those displays so and we're so, staring at liquid crystals all the time we are it's really fun whenever i do public talks i bring along a little handheld microscope and uh, you can use your cell phone as as the uh, light source for this little microscope and you can look at the liquid crystals in each pixel um, so that's a really fun demonstration. I wish I could yeah. do that uh, now. But. Well, now you'll have our listeners here <laughs> taking out their phones and trying to look. So, <laughs> Right, right. So uh, I work with the same material that's behind your cell phone screen, and I work with chiral material of liquid crystals, which basically just means that it, they have these molecules that want to twist around each other into some kind of helical, like DNA shape of a structure and so we take advantage of that natural tendency to twist and use these materials to create these really interesting knotted fields and when i say knot it's k-n-o-t mm -hmm. <laughs> so all right. these knots uh in in the directional field of these molecules and we call those topological solitons. So you can think of them as, as these molecules just kind of pointing in all different directions and tying themselves up into really interesting knotted structures. So yeah, topological, you know, I think a lot of people are kind of familiar with that term. Solitons, I've certainly run across the idea of solitons as solitary waves. Right. So that that is the kind of typical use of the term. And for the solitons that we work with, it's kind of it stems from a similar inspiration of that solitary wave phenomenon. But when we use the word soliton um, in this type of research, it basically just means that uh, it's this knotted field that can travel um, mm. on its own. Hmm. Okay, sure. So have we worked through the title almost? <laughs> We've gotten almost all the way through the title. So the, the <laughs> beginning of the title is just large scale patterning and dynamics. So I basically take all those knotted structures that I can make in these systems. And I used a lot of really fun techniques like patterning with uh, blue light and application of electric fields to move them around and show different dynamic behaviors that in the end of my PhD work, I actually showed that when we're looking at you know, tens of thousands of these knots at a time moving together, that they move and interact really similar to schooling fish. Hmm. Huh. Yes. Now that's interesting. So we've gone through the title. Uh, <laughs> so can you give us an idea of what your topic ended up showing, what the results were or how it fits in some 
bigger picture? Sure. So I basically showed that we could use things that we see at the micro scale. Um, so these knots, you can fit 10 of them across the width of a human hair. They're really, really small. And therefore, we can create a lot of them and study them very, very easily. And we could use what we learn at the micro scale to learn more about to get a little lofty right off the bat, the the physics of the universe, if you will. Um, uh, your display screen and micro to the universe, all right? That's yeah, good yeah. Scaling. So, so a lot of our work was, was informing um, the work done by theorists in cosmology who are really interested in these knots, in, in these solitons but they're really difficult to study out in space. Uh, so sure, because sure. We, can, we can create the same thing at the micro scale, um, we could uh, build that bridge between uh, different fields of research. That's very interesting that you can bring those ideas that are hard to observe on a large <laughs> scale or in the universe and bring them into a lab and even show them to an, an audience at a talk. Right. It's really fun. It ended up being a research project that generated a lot of really pretty photos from the microscope imaging and videos, and that made it really fun to present. Well, thank you, Haley. So you did a good job in unpacking that title there. Let me move on to Clement here. And Clement, your title is Everyday Materials for Physical Interactive Systems. Could you tell us a little more about what your dissertation work involved? Yeah, so just to elaborate a little bit, um, so maybe starting with the motivation, really I think um, I was looking at how computers were becoming more pervasive and embedded almost everywhere now in the built environment. And so kind of the angle which I was taking is that you know we should look at computers as one material among all the other kinds of materials that make up this environment that we live in. and consider how everything can be kind of integrated into our lives. You know, for instance, how can traditional books and magazines, you know, these things are made of paper, how can they participate in like computational systems as well? Hmm. And so for my dissertation work, I explored different familiar and common uh, materials or objects like magnets and paper, different types of paper. And essentially what I did was I developed techniques for other designers to make computer interfaces out of these familiar materials. And I also ran a class in the Atlas Institute at CU um, with graduate students uh, just to kind of understand how designers approach materials for interactive systems and how we might better facilitate them. So talk a little more about what you do with these materials. It's interesting to think of computers as just another material mm -hmm. in part of design, but a little more of what your dissertation work was and what the result is. Well, so perhaps to just more concretely describe one particular project that was part of my dissertation. Um, so a few collaborators in my lab and myself led by me, we looked at actually computer vision as a way of getting analog materials to talk to computers and to create kind of experiences between these tangible analog materials and a digital system. When you say an analog material. So all, all I'm meaning is imagine your physical material, like the chair you're sitting on, uh, the, the paper, the pages of a book, 
plastic. So essentially, the typical thing actually most people would think of、uh, what a material is. That's kind of what we mean by analog. Okay. Yeah,、sure. and and I think a lot of the work is how we could kind of activate these analog materials and make them readable by a computer system. And so you know, like I was saying, computer vision is one really convenient way you could have a camera observe. In our case, we were looking at paper, and so we printed all these patterns on paper, which a computer is able to recognize. And we were able to actually use very traditional origami techniques—you know, cutting and folding the paper in some ways—such that when you physically interact with the paper, like if you stretch the paper, if you fold the paper, the patterns change, and therefore、um, the computer system now knows that you have done something to the paper. And you are able to use those interactions as input into a software. You had your defense online as a video, and I was looking at that. And one of the examples was you had a folded piece of paper that mimicked like a button, like a、mm-hmm. key on a keyboard, or something like that, as an example. Yeah. So we we were imagining, you know, instead of accessing a software through the keyboard and mouse, imagine if you were interacting with a bar chart. And you could print out the bar chart and fold it so that each of the bars, physical, three-dimensional paper sculptures that you could touch and feel. But then, when you press on the bar, the computer is able to read out more information about that data point.、Mm. And so, you could think of this、um, having implications for accessibility. For instance, someone who is blind or low vision might be able to. Interact with this data physicalization, but yet still get the kind of information that digital software is able to provide. Sure. So, what do you see this work possibly leading to? I think our primary, well, my primary、um, target for for the kind of research that I'm doing is actually looking to impact designers and the design process. And so,、um, with the work that I did in, through my dissertation, I was really hoping to impact. Designers to be able to prototype really much quicker.、Um, so let's say you are an、mm. industrial designer looking to create a car interior. Right now, that's something that's very expensive and something that's very difficult to do, and it takes months as well to get it set up. But through some of the techniques that that I developed, the hope is that we could make such prototyping processes like much. More efficient and and at a much lower cost, at least、um, for the first phase of of the design process. That's great. That has a lot of applications for making design faster and cheaper. And、I、look forward to seeing it applied. Thank you, Clement. Thank you, Jennifer. Let's move on to you here, and let me pull up the title of your thesis here: Development and Application of Chemical Ionization Mass Spectrometry for Measuring Terrestrial and Exoplanetary Organic Nitrogen. It's a mouthful. Yeah, it is a mouthful. <laughs> so now I guess it's your turn to unpack your title and what it's about. So、uh, my thesis was a bit disjointed, and I'll only be talking about the the second part, the exoplanetary part. The part that connects my entire thesis is that chemical ionization mass spectrometry. Which essentially is just an instrument that's a very, very sensitive scale that can measure the mass of gas phase compounds. So, like hydrogen atoms, you can measure the mass、mm-hmm. of them and determine what the chemical formulas of them are. And、mm-hmm. so, we use this instrument to look at organic nitrogen, which are compounds that have both carbon and nitrogen in them, to see how they form across our solar system. 
And in particular, we recreate Titan's atmosphere, which uh, Titan is one of Saturn's 60 plus moons. So we <laughs> recreate that atmosphere in our lab and then shine a light on it and see what kind of gas phase compounds form. And in particular, we look at those organic nitrogen compounds. Why pick Titan and what is interest in their atmosphere? So Titan is actually really similar to Earth in many different ways. And the biggest one of that is that it has a dense nitrogen atmosphere. And if you remember here on Earth, we also have a dense nitrogen atmosphere. And also uh, we have life here on Earth and on Titan, there's a lot of different interesting chemistry that potentially could lead to life as well. Mm-hmm. Although it might not be water-based, maybe it's methane-based. Exactly. Or like yeah. That. Right. So this was this was lab work. You were working with hardware. Yes. What exactly is involved? So the mass spectrometer can basically measure the masses of different molecules. And I assume these nitrogen organic molecules can be fairly large and complex. Yeah. So we look at compounds that have I guess we really looked at things that could have about like 20 carbons. So they get pretty large and mm -hmm. uh, they can start to condense onto aerosol particles. So floating solid objects. So um, they're, they're pretty large and it helps us figure out how those particles form, which is another reason why Titan is interesting. It has a planetary haze. So it has all of these suspended solid particles around it. And it's so dense that you actually can't see the surface of it. So this is a way to study a little more of that remote moon's atmosphere without actually sending a mission there, or at least a precursor to what you might want to study if you do send a mission there. Yeah. Right now, most of the work that is physically on Titan looked at the upper part of Titan's atmosphere, so where people think all the interesting chemistry starts. But we, what we represent is the lower part of Titan's atmosphere, the stratosphere part of it, where uh, there's a different energy source and not too many studies have either recreated that in lab or directly measured it on Titan. Well, this is a fairly timely bit of research because one of the recently selected NASA missions is a mission to Titan right. called Dragonfly, which is, <laughs> how, how cool is this? You know, flying a drone <laughs> yeah. around Titan. But uh, do you see your work being connected with that mission? Yeah, um, we know on Titan that uh, nitrogen compounds can form there. And what we see in our lab is slightly different nitrogen compounds, but maybe we'll see with this dragonfly study that um, there's a combination of what we saw in the upper atmosphere and what we see in the lower atmosphere combining together to create some really cool organic compounds. What do you see as your, here's a question for all of you, but what do you see <laughs> as your post-grad plans? You know, you probably had enough questions of when is your thesis going to be done? <laughs> and now that it's done, people are saying, well, what are you going to do now? <laughs> so Haley, do you have something already on site for post-grad plans here? I don't yet, but I'm uh, casting a pretty wide net, uh, including industry positions and academic mm -hmm. positions, because I think that I'd be really interested in continuing my research, um, especially the computational side of things, but uh, considering kind of the chaotic time we're in with uh, everybody working from home, I'm kind of 
trying to be patient with uh, hearing back because I think that um, everybody's waiting to see who, you know, what kind of hiring needs that they have. (laughs) Lab intensive work in the time of COVID Mm -hmm. is a little tricky. Now, for your thesis. So when did you defend? So I defended in November. I uh, got in before any of this was even uh, an issue, which I I feel really lucky. (laughs) So that didn't necessarily impact your lab work, although you probably can't get into the lab now at this point. Right. I can't. And uh, it it's been nice because the the strings that were left for me to tie up after graduation were finishing out uh, some publications and things, and all of that can be done from home. Uh, and uh, those those have gone really well. Uh, I'm excited to say that everything's been published now. Yeah, and Jennifer, certainly the the same situation with dealing with lab work. You defended though. A little more recently. Yeah, about three days before CU Boulder shut down. <laughs> well, good timing. Uh, yeah, it was. I was quite lucky. <laughs> so you were able to get all your work done and the thesis in before the doors slammed shut. Right, yeah. So what are your thoughts about uh, post-graduation work? Well, uh, I'm a self-called atmosphere chemist. Uh, I don't actually look at exoplanetary atmospheres that often. So I'm looking forward to get back to doing Earth-based atmospheric chemistry and continuing doing research, but not really in a university setting. So probably more like a, some sort of federal lab. And Clement, might as well do the round here. What are your <laughs> post-grad plans? So I'm actually going to be returning to my home country, which is Singapore. Mm. And I'm going to take on take up an instructorship position uh, at a university there. And ah, in fact, it's, it's kind of... Thank you. Actually, I, um, the long story is that I, I'm here in the U.S. on a scholarship from that university. So I'm kind of going back to my job, so, Ex- so to speak. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, and yeah, I'm going to get, um, I'm going to be working with more um, designers. So hopefully um, that will help me push kind of the work that I started doing with my dissertation slightly further. Oh, great. And, and was the grad school experience what you expected? what you came in for? Yeah, it was great. Um, I was actually uh, in Atlanta for three years before my advisor moved to CU Boulder. And and so I moved along with her. So I got to experience like two very different cities in Uh, in the US, which which was great. Yeah. Wow. That's that's really great. I'm just wondering for any of the three of you, was grad school different than what you expected? You know, sometimes... People just, they know exactly what they're going to do. They go in, they get the thesis done. Uh, Sometimes it's a little more of a random walk. (laughs) (laughs) Do any of you, uh, let me start, Jennifer, uh, was grad school what you expected? And did you end up where you thought you'd end up? In in some ways it was expected in the fact that I was doing a lot of research, but the type of research I did was unexpected. Um, I, I came to see you thinking I was going to do field work, but then mm-hmm. I did a lot of lab work on not even earth based things, but, um, I still learn a lot and it's all really applicable to what I keep wanting to do. And I think I also found that through grad school, you can create a really nice community of scientists and friends. And I actually even met my husband through this process as well. 
Oh, wow. Yeah. Well, that worked out doubly well. (laughs) Very nicely for me. Yeah. (laughs) Haley, what about you? Um, I, I would have to say my answer is really similar, um, to Jennifer's in that, uh, some parts I were, as I expected, uh, kind of, you know, expecting to spend a lot of time in the lab and, and have a lot of late nights and things like that. But, uh, the community was a really positive aspect that I didn't expect to be so strong. Um, and I, I'm also very surprised looking back that I landed in a project that has a lot of theoretical aspects to it. I Mm -hmm. never thought I'd be able to describe any of my work as theoretical physics. And yet here we are. Um, Exactly. (laughs) So I I think it's really amazing that, uh, that you can find different paths to follow uh, even within the same field of work. Yeah. I've always felt that college, the undergrad college is you learn how to learn. And Mm -hmm. in grad school, you really learn how to ask questions that need to be answered and then figure out a way to answer them. (laughs) Right. That's a really cool way to put it. I appreciate all of you helping answer the questions of what does that title mean? (laughs) (laughs) Um, This was really great. I wish the three of you the best of luck in your post PhD career. Uh, All three of you doctors. Thank you. uh, Thank you you so much. Thank you very much for being on the show. Our guests were Dr. Jennifer Berry, Dr. Clement Jung, and Dr. Haley Son. They were graduate students at the University of Colorado at Boulder who just recently defended their PhD theses and shared with us some of the details of their dissertation work. all for this edition of How on Earth. This week's show was produced by yours truly, Joel Parker, and engineered by Maeve Conran. Our theme music was written and produced by Josh Cutler. Visit our website at howonearthradio.org to find past episodes, extended interviews, and you can subscribe to our podcast through iTunes and follow us on Facebook and Twitter. Questions or comments? Call the KGNU comment line at 303-447- 9911. For How on Earth, the KGNU Science Show, I'm Joel Parker. <laughs>